All right, I want everybody to reach inside the program and pull out that, um, that little, little flyer that says Christ and the Passover. Because I want you to know you're really in for a, a, a real treat. This is, this is going to be so good. Last night, we just had the, 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 the greatest time down here. I've gotten so many emails just uh, from those that were here last night. Wow, I never realized that Christ really is in the Passover. And you're going to enjoy this. And he's going to have you refer to this. We've got some stuff that will come up on the jumbotrons. But I really want you to put your thinking caps on, okay? really want you to be watching, paying attention, because it's going to lead us right into our time when we remember the one who shed his blood for us. And I'm really thrilled to introduce to you Stan Myers from Jews for Jesus. Would you give it up for him right now? Okay. Shalom. All right. Make me feel at home. Sounds like you guys are ready for Israel in October. So I am a missionary down in Southern California with Jews for Jesus. I'll tell you a little more about what that means, what we do as missionaries. We're bringing the gospel to Jewish people and meeting with new believers and discipling them. And that's kind of the work that we do. Some people, when they hear about our organization, I I see people... They see my van, it says Jews for Jesus. They go, Jews for Jesus? I thought Jews don't believe in Jesus. Isn't that a contradiction in terms like like vegetarians for roast beef? (laughs) So I say, well, now, let's remember all the first Christians were Jewish and lived in Israel and celebrated Passover and spoke Hebrew, you know, and... What's more Jewish than believing in Jesus, but that he's for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, I tell people I'm originally not a Californian. Way back years ago, I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. And people say, Jews from Texas? I thought you Jews all come from, you know, the Holy Land, Brooklyn. So, well, down in Texas, we speak a dialect of Hebrew called Texan Hebrew. We say shalom y'all, so it's okay. Well, I want to teach you a song this morning. And the words are very simple. They're three simple Hebrew words. We get it up on the jumbotron there. The words in English mean we bring you peace. And that's what we're doing. We are bringing a message of peace to a dying world that needs to hear about true peace that can only happen through Jesus. So you ought to learn this song. This is a missional song, a song about bringing the message of peace to to the world. The three simple Hebrew words, why don't you repeat with me? The first word is hevenu, hevenu. The second word is shalom. And the third word is alechem. Shalom Alechem. On that third word, don't be saying it when the communion wafer goes by, okay? Alechem, you know. Um, all right. So go ahead. Some are starting to get that, okay? As we're. Havenu Shalom Alechem. I will go ahead and sing that through. And go ahead and listen. This is a hand clapping song. Go ahead and join in. Uh, listen, and please, when you get the words the second time through, join in, sing with me. Heaven is shalom alechem. Heaven is shalom alechem. Heaven is shalom alechem. Heaven is shalom, shalom, shalom alechem. Heaven is shalom. Join with me. Heaven is shalom alechem. Heaven is shalom alechem. 
Avenu Shalom, Shalom, Shalom Alechem. Avenu Shalom Alechem. Avenu Shalom Alechem. Avenu Shalom Alechem. Avenu Shalom, Shalom, Shalom Alechem. Hey. All right. Well. Growing up in Texas, we, like most Jewish people, celebrated the Passover. We celebrated it, and it's this year, it's March 25th, it's Monday, and Jewish people around the world are going to be seated at a table like this, celebrating the Passover like we have for thousands of years. It's a time to remember that we used to be slaves in the land of Egypt. And then God miraculously brought the Jewish people out of the land of Egypt. And every year we sit down at a table like this and celebrate the Passover, remembering how God brought the Jewish people miraculously out of the land of Egypt. But this morning, as I take you on a tour through the Passover celebration, we as believers in Jesus are going to see something that most of my Jewish people totally miss. And that is, in that story in the book of Exodus, 1,400 years before Jesus, and in the celebration and the symbols here, they were all the time pointing to the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. Now, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. And it's up on the screen, too. This is the ESV, I think. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, that's Jerusalem, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house, the rabbi, the teacher, says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That came as a shock to the disciples. Earlier that week, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem with huge ceremony and circumstance. The crowds gathered on Palm Sunday and they threw out palm branches. They cried out, Hoshana, which is Hebrew for Yahweh, save us. There was this great expectation. The three years of Jesus' ministry culminated in this event when the crowds were there in Jerusalem. Josephus says the city swelled over a million. Jews had come from Greece and Persia and from Egypt and from Syria, all coming down for this pilgrimage festival. 
They were tired of Roman oppression. They had heard about this Galilean preacher who preached to the kingdom of God. And in their minds, they pictured a political kingdom that would start this year. Jesus was there at the Passover supper. And there was an expectation that maybe his military campaign would erupt this year on this day. Jerusalem was like a tinderbox. It was like a powder keg ready to explode with anger. How many saw Argo? How many saw Argo, that movie? Can you imagine the anger among the residents of Judea ready to overthrow the oppressive Roman government just like Judah the Maccabee had done a hundred and something years earlier? And there at the table, Jesus was with his disciples, and maybe they were expecting, here is the cabinet meeting. This is the war room. Jesus would pull out a sword and say, and now the time of our redemption is at hand. And he would lay out a map of Jerusalem, giving orders to the disciples which gates to secure. And he said to his disciples at the Last Supper, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. They weren't expecting that. Jesus needed to explain in the context of the Passover supper. He spoke of a spiritual kingdom. He spoke of how he had to come in the mission of the Messiah to lay his life down a ransom for many. And that is what I'm going to take you through this morning as we talk about the Passover and the symbols and how it pointed to the sacrifice and the resurrection of, the, of Christ. Now, let me give you some background. Passover begins an eight-day festival that starts Monday night. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And on the days of unleavened bread, Jewish people eat nothing with leaven or yeast in it. That's because bread is often used in the Bible as a symbol for sin. A little bit of leaven leavens and spreads and infects the whole lump, just like sin pervades our life and causes our life to be puffed up in our own eyes. So by not eating anything with leaven or yeast, it's like saying to God, we want to purge our lives of sin. So we will abstain from anything with leaven or yeast for that whole week. Now, if you were to come into a Jewish home on the night of Passover, you'd find the table set with a beautiful white tablecloth and candles and silver. And the men will be covering their head with a yarmulke. That's the skull cap, which is a sign of respect to God. Now, you all have brochures that came in your bulletins. Would you pull those brochures out and you'll see a little, the panel, panel number two. And on panel number two, you'll see the blessings that uh, I'm going to recite so you can follow along with me. The first blessing is over the candles. The mother lights the candles, bringing in the Passover celebration. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kid Shanu B'Mitzvotav Vitzivanu, Lahadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us and thy commandments and bidden us to kindle the Passover lights. And we'll each have a cup by our place. And our cup will be filled four times. And if you look on panel one, 
you'll see the four cups. These are the, the four cups of Passover. And the first cup is called the cup of sanctification because by blessing this cup, we sanctify the meal. We set this one apart from all other family gatherings to sanctify it to the Lord. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei puri hagafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And with that, the Passover Seder has begun. Now we call the celebration a Seder, S-E-D-E-R. That's the Hebrew word for order because the whole service follows the order given in this book, the Haggadah. Haggadah is the Hebrew word for the telling, because this book is our book of prayer. It's got the liturgy and the blessings in it, and it will take us through the celebration of Passover. I actually, we actually produce a messianic Haggadah, and I've got some of these on the table over there in the lobby, and if you go over there, you'll see the books and literature. Some of our literature is free. Take all of it that you can and share it with friends. Some of the literature is not so free. Talk to me or Mary Star before you take those. So we've got those over there on the table. And now, at this point, the youngest child has memorized four questions. And the questions are recited in Hebrew. And the answers to these questions kind of unfold or unpack the meaning of the celebration. They're found on panel two, the four questions. And I'm going to chant the first one in Hebrew. And it sounds like this. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights... We eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights we're not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip it twice? That is in salt water. On all other nights we, sitting, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? Well... The father begins by telling the story of Passover. And maybe many of you got to see on uh, the History Channel uh, the Bible. How many have been watching the Bible on television? Great. They had uh, uh, the story of Moses bringing the Hebrews out of the land of Egypt. And that's the story that uh, the father retells. Although I have to say, growing up, burned in my image will still be Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner there on a Hollywood set. The drama of that just can't be compared with this uh, History Channel program, but that's okay. The drama is incredible <coughs> because it tells us this, there it is too on the Jumbotron, tells us the story of how God <coughs> broke into human history. He, he interrupted the course of human events 
in ways that we and historians today can still verify. And that's what's incredible about the Bible is our faith is not a bunch of collection of moralities and philosophies that, well, if it works for you. Our faith is based in real events that happened in real time and space that you can get a shovel, go over to Israel, dig up Jericho, and say, wow, it really happened. The grave really is empty. There are evidence of uh, Semitic settlements at the mouth of the Nile River. This all really happened, and our faith is based in real events that is either true or not true. It is verifiable. That makes our faith and the story of the Bible real. Don't miss this. Passover is a real event that happened in real time and space. So the father tells a story of how we cried out to God for redemption from slavery, and he raised up Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord God, let my people go. But Pharaoh refused. And God brought nine plagues in the land of Egypt, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he still would not let the Hebrews go. So God told Moses to do something. Take a perfect lamb, a lamb in which no blemish is found, kill the lamb, put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of your houses, the two side posts and the lintel above. And then that night, the angel of death came through Egypt. And the angel of death killed the firstborn of every living thing in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of the cattle in the field to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon to the firstborn of Pharaoh's own household. They all died except those who put the blood on the doorposts. For them, the angel of death passed over. And that's where we get the name Passover. That's the holiday when we remember death passed over the houses of Israel when he saw the blood on the doorposts. So the children of Israel were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You see the picture we have here in the Jewish scriptures? Just as that lamb was innocent, a perfect lamb that was selected, so was Jesus, perfect, without any sin. That lamb's blood was slain, that we would be redeemed from death, just as the blood of Christ was shed, that we would be redeemed from spiritual death. The blood of that lamb was shed, that we would be redeemed from slavery to Pharaoh, just as the blood of Christ is shed, that we would be redeemed from slavery in this world to sin. And just as every Israelite had to appropriate the free gift, they had to, they had to receive the gift of redemption there in the land of Egypt by putting the blood on the doorposts of their house. So is the work of Christ a gift. It's a free gift, but you have to receive it. A gift isn't yours until you appropriate it. You have to apply the blood of Christ to the doorposts of your hearts. And then the youngest child asks, why do we eat unleavened bread? And we eat matzah. Just, it's just flour and water, bread made without any yeast or leaven. We remember that in our haste that night to leave Egypt when Pharaoh said, get out, we ate the bread while it was still flat before it had time to rise. We take three matzahs and put them in a pouch that sits in the middle of the table. 
called a matzotash. It's got, whoops, I dropped one. Three matzahs. I showed you one there. And they're hidden from our view, but the father removes the middle matzah. He recites a blessing over it and breaks it. Now, this piece of matzah is very important in the Passover Seder. In fact, we give it a name. We call this the afikoman, the afikoman. Say that with me, afikoman. It's a Greek word meaning he that comes later, which is exactly what happens. It is taken at this point in the service, wrapped in a linen cloth. It is hidden somewhere in the house, buried from our view. Now, the children will go out and look for the afikoman later after the service. It has to be found for the service to be concluded. Now, why do we recline on pillows like this? Because we used to be slaves, and a slave has to eat standing up, waiting upon his or her master. Now we're free, and as free people, we can recline, and so we do so on pillows like this. Now, finally, the last couple of questions. Why do we eat bitter herbs and dip our greens in salt water? This plate is called a Passover Seder plate, and it's got all these six compartments. And the compartments we put as symbolic food in each one. The first would be the onion. And the onion is the root of a bitter herb. It reminds us that the very root of life in the land of Egypt was bitter. Up on the screen you see a horseradish root, which might also be used. We also have the greens, called the karpas, and greens represents life. Everybody will take a sprig of parsley and we'll eat it, but first, before we eat it, we dip it in salt water. Salt water represents tears. It reminds us that our life in Egypt was a life immersed in tears. Then we have another bitter herb at the table. This is fresh horseradish. Now, do you know what we do with this horseradish? What happens if you eat a little bit of horseradish? Down in Los Angeles, I had a chance to do this in a Japanese church in L.A., West L.A., and I looked and they put something green in this. That's the Japanese horseradish. And very much hotter than this. But the horseradish brings tears to your eyes. And the tears are supposed to remind us of the tears of our ancestors in slavery to Pharaoh. Then we have a sweet mixture of apples, raisins, nuts, and honey called the haroset. And the haroset is supposed to remind us of the mortar that our ancestors had to make the bricks which we use to build the cities for Pharaoh out of. Then we have a roasted egg, and the roasted egg reminds us of the daily roasted sacrifices. In the the Talmud, the the daily sacrifice was called the Hagigah. That was the sacrifice that was offered (coughs) in the temple when the temple stood. But the temple's been destroyed since the year 70. So we take the egg and we peel it and everybody takes a slice and we put it in the salt water before we eat it, that we remember the sacrifices and tears. Then we have 
the roasted shank bone of a lamb. And that reminds us that when the temple stood, the lamb we ate was a sacrificial lamb that was offered up in the temple every year. But today there are no more sacrifices because the temple was destroyed in the year 70. So we just have the egg and the bone to remind us of those sacrifices. Which raises a question. If there are no more sacrifices in Judaism, how does a person atone for their sins? How do you pay for your sins? The Bible is very clear. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. You know, it's not enough to just be sincere. It's not enough to just go to God and say, oops. I mean, oops is good. Oops is a start. You know, I don't want to diminish that. Oops is helpful. I mean, you know, recognizing. But you can't, but oops doesn't pay for your sins. You know, I, I wish that um, April 15th I could put oops in an envelope and mail that to the IRS. That doesn't work, you know. You got to pay for what you've done. And the payment was always done in the sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. So, what do we do today? Well, John the Baptist answered that question. As he stood on the banks of the Jordan River teaching his disciples and beheld his cousin Yeshua coming up over the horizon. He said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. That's how. Not with sacrifices that were offered and had to be repeated every year. But when Jesus hung on the cross on Good Friday, he said, It is finished. And when he said that, the veil in the temple was miraculously ripped without human hands from top to bottom. And showing a way was made into the holy place. Today we have no sacrifices. We have Jesus who offered himself one time for all peoples for all time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now after that we fill our cups up a second time. And the second cup is called the cup of plagues. And at this point we recite the ten plagues. And as we recite each plague, we take our finger and we dip it in and take a drop of wine and sprinkle it on our plate. Each drop reminds us of the blood of the Egyptians who suffered because of the wickedness of their leader who wouldn't obey God. They suffered. But I want you to not stop there. We all know about the plagues, the Nile River turning to blood, the frogs across the land, the disease, the cattle disease. This is not just some punitive measure where God wanted to punish some nation and elevate some group of people out of some ethnocentric notion. God is a missional God. He was on a mission to reach the Egyptians. And with every plague, the Egyptians realized that their idols were not gods at all. As they beheld the God of the Nile dead, turning to blood. The God Hecate coming out and spread over the land. And finally, the greatest God of the Egyptian pantheon, Ra, the sun, obscured and turning black. And they realized that there's only one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. And the Bible says that when the Israelites left Egypt, it said a mixed multitude went out with them. 
God had reached the Egyptian people to bring in his group into his covenant. God is always the missional God. The message of Passover is a missional message that he wants to reach all people. Take that with you from this message this morning and remember that God is always seeking after the lost. After that, it's at this point that the table is cleared off and the meal is served. This is when the Passover feast would be served. And this is a big feast. This is like Thanksgiving. I mean, all the families come in from out of town. Uncle Seymour is here from Brooklyn, and Aunt Esther's here from Cleveland, and we're all celebrating this together. And after the meal is over and the table is set back up for the conclusion of the Passover Seder. Oh, before I go any farther, let me also say this. In your brochures, you'll notice there's a little section called an involvement section. Would you rip that out sometime this morning before you leave? Fill this out. We have a really fantastic newsletter. Our newsletter is a great free resource. It will tell you more about the Jewish roots of our faith in Christ, about other holidays like the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Booths and uh, Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, and how they point to Christ. But even more important, it'll give you some ideas and resources on how you can sensitively share the love of Jesus with your Jewish friend, coworker, or neighbor. Great resource, stories of Jews coming to believe in Jesus and how God brought them. So fill it out, put your email there. Um, on the, by the doors as you leave, there's a box, the communication box. Go ahead and put this in the communication box by the door. It's by the door as you leave and we'll send you our newsletter and stay in touch And I hope this can be a resource for you and your ministry. Now, at this point, the service, the table is set back up for the conclusion of the Seder. Our cups are filled up for the third time. And the third cup of the evening is called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. But before anyone can drink of this cup, the service stops. Nobody is allowed to drink from the cup of redemption after the meal, until something is brought back. It was broken, it was buried. Now, it has to be brought back. Now, who remembers its name? Ah, he put it on the jumbotron. There, the afikoman, right. And the children will run out into the house and look for the afikoman, and only one finds it and gets a reward. And then it's revealed again, and he does something very interesting with it. He breaks off a piece, and he passes this around the table. Everybody at the table breaks off a piece from the afikoman, and we will take it together with the cup of redemption. Now, does this look familiar? What a clear picture we have here in the cup of redemption and the afikoman of Christ and the Passover. Consider the afikoman. He that comes later, it was broken, wrapped in a linen cloth, it was buried, and it was brought back. And matzah is unleavened, a sign of sinless nature. It is striped. Reminds me that Jesus was striped with a Roman whip. 
It says by the Hebrew prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, by his stripes we are healed. Matzah is pierced. And that reminds me that Jesus was pierced with the Roman spear. It says he was pierced through for our transgressions. In the Last Supper, after the meal, Jewish people always take the afikoman together with the cup of redemption. It was this after the meal that Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the Last Supper, the Passover Seder, Jesus took the cup of redemption, the cup taken after the meal, and said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Finally, the last cup of the evening is the cup of praise, the cup of praise. And at this point, we sing the praises that are taken from the Psalms at the end of the meal. And remember what the disciples did after the Last Supper. They went up to the Mount of Olives singing the Psalms, singing the same hymns that we Jewish people sing to this day. There's a cup I haven't mentioned yet that nobody drinks from. This is called the Cup of Elijah. The cup of Elijah. This is an invitation for Elijah to come and join the feast. Now, why are we waiting for Elijah? Well, the prophet Malachi foretold that Elijah would be a forerunner of the Messiah. So at this point, we throw the door open and we wait to greet Elijah, who will step through the door and take the cup and announce Behold, the Messiah has come. And then the Messiah will gather us from the ends of the earth and bring us back to the land of Israel. But every year we open the door and Elijah isn't there. So we take our seats and then we close the Passover Seder with these words. Lashana haba Yerushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem, may the Messiah come next year so that we will be celebrating this in Jerusalem. Well, in the land of Israel, our Jews for Jesus missionary staff made it to Jerusalem, to Tel Aviv, to cities around Israel. We are right now in the process of bringing the gospel to Jewish people in the land of Israel. Today, Israel has 5.7 million Jewish people. It exceeded four years ago, five years ago, uh, the number of Jewish people in North America. There are more Jews in Israel today for the first time in history than anywhere else. Our president just returned from there uh, trying to to demonstrate alliance and uh, peace with between the um, United States and Israel. But what the news isn't talking about is that in the land of Israel... There are today more Jewish people coming to believe in Jesus than there have been, and the gospel is going out stronger than it has been since the days of Jesus. We have been out on the streets handing out literature in cities like Tel Aviv and Haifa and cities in Israel, bringing the gospel, and we're seeing more open Jewish people and more hostility than we've seen in any other part of the world. There are open secular Israelis and there are very hostile, militant, ultra-Orthodox who are trying to stop it. 
And I want you to pray for us as we get ready for our next uh, outreach. I can't tell you the name of the city. It's not Jerusalem, but it is a city that has a huge ultra-Orthodox group that has been very violent, a group that has burned down a couple of congregations of Messianic Jews in the land of Israel, and a city that has a great number of young Israelis that are actually very open, as well as Russian Jews and Jews from other countries. I want to show a very short clip to show you about what we're doing right now in the land of Israel so that you can be praying for Jews for Jesus and uh, be lifting us up in prayer in our next outreach. Hebrew fields are covered with flowers of the sun Their face like my love is forced to look down are covered with flowers of the sun As Christians, we sometimes think of Israel as a place rather than a people. Today, more than five and a half million Jews call Israel home. They live in the heartland of their Messiah, and yet they are completely unreached. In religious Judaism, rabbis, they have all the authority. They say Jesus isn't the Messiah, we say he is. Like the early church in the Book of Acts, there is an ongoing struggle in Israel to reach God's chosen people, to reach Jews for Jesus. Behold Your God Israel is an essential evangelistic effort by Jews for Jesus. Its name is taken from Isaiah 40, verse 9, where God says, Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold Your God. Started in 2008, the goal is to complete major evangelistic outreaches in all 12 regions of Israel. During each four-week campaign, the teams live at a base camp where they eat, sleep, pray, and worship. The task is difficult, but the message is simple. Jesus is the promised Messiah. If we really believe it's a matter of life and death, if we really believe this is the Messiah, how can we be quiet? We have to say something. So I want Christians to understand Jewish people need to believe in Jesus, that when it comes to Jesus, Israelis know almost nothing. Less than one-tenth of one percent of the Israeli population knows who Jesus is. That's less than 6,000 people in the entire country. There are many challenges facing Jews for Jesus. Violence from religious extremists is all too common for the missionaries. They have been pushed, shoved, spit on, and been verbally attacked. Oh, I'm gonna stand here till you leave country, you white piece of trash. You people, okay, are a little blind to what's been done in the name of Christ. Despite the opposition, the Jews for Jesus missionaries are not discouraged. In fact, there is great joy when someone engages in a spiritual conversation. They called me and I met with Peter and I really enjoyed those meetings. From then on, I started reading the New Testament. Every page, I felt like I'm getting closer to the truth. 
I was born in Israel. I'm a Jewish with a Jewish background. And I just heard about Jesus. I've never got to know him. I feel stronger. I feel like I'm about to discover something that I didn't know that before. There is a sense of the eternal in what Jews for Jesus is doing in Israel. Yet there is still much to accomplish. The dream and the reality are very different. Jerusalem storms of ancient forum We want to stop wailing, start loving again those stones of ancient forum. Jesus came not only from the Jewish people, he came for the Jewish people. I'm now in the process of receiving Jesus. I got a feeling that something is waiting. Something good. It's a great sense of joy that we're all very, very motivated just to spread this gospel. We have this great sense of purpose, great sense of privilege. He's starting to slowly, slowly taking off the veil from the eyes of the Jewish people. I can feel it. My flower of the sun. Wow, praise the Lord. And so that, if you want to see our video, by the way, our video, Flowers of the Sun, is available, which talks about what God is doing in the land of Israel and the stories of Israelis coming to believe. Um, but this message, this is a message we can take to our unsafe friends and family uh, who aren't even necessarily Jewish to see what God has done in the Passover in prophesying of the coming of Christ. Don't forget to put this in the boxes as you leave, and we're going to move now into communion as we actually participate in what was prophesied and what was fulfilled in Christ as I ask Pastor Rick to come on up and lead us through communion. Hey, would you give uh, our brother Stan a hand? Can you do that? That was just unbelievable, huh? I mean, how you see Jesus Christ in the Passover. And when the Bible talks about this blinding of the eyes, it really is exactly that, isn't it? The, 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 the blinding of the truth. And yet... I believe, as many of you do, that there's coming a day when God is going to do an incredible work in the land of Israel. I think there's a, a reason why God is gathering up his people. And we're going to see an incredible, uh, the, the greatest evangelistic campaign ever is yet to happen. 
as God fulfills many of his promises to that group of people. We'll look over in the venue. Um, right now what we're gonna do is we're going to um, remember the, the one who came for us. The one who lived an amazing life for us. The, the one who lived a sinless, perfect, and holy and righteous life for us. We're gonna remember Jesus. And in just a moment, as these elements are passed, we're gonna hear a beautiful song. And I just want you to hold that piece of bread. And I want you to remember his life. I want you to remember the life of Jesus and what a beautiful life it was. And he lived that life for you. He lived that life for me. But the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So it wasn't enough that he would come and just live a great life, a perfect life. He had to go to a cross and he had to shed his blood, royal blood, perfect blood, sinless blood for us. And it's that blood that cleanses us of our sin. And as you're holding that little cup of juice, I want you to remember that, that cup of redemption. And over here in the main auditorium, where, where it'll be passed, and over in the venue during the song, you're gonna walk forward and you're gonna pick up the cup and the bread and then go back to your seats and, and then when the, when the song is over with, we'll, we'll take it together, not only here together, but over in, in, in the venue together. So I'm gonna ask our hosts and hostesses if they would come and would you all just shut your eyes for just a moment, even on, in the venue, would you, would you close your eyes? While everybody's eyes are, are closed, this is a moment for believers. This is a moment for those of us that have had our eyes open to the truth of who Jesus was, the Messiah, the Savior. And most of us in this room, most of you over in the venue, we know the Messiah, we know Jesus, we've given our life to him. We understand that he was perfect and holy and righteous. We, we understand what that bread represents. We understand what the cup represents, that, that that's his blood that, that was shed for us. But I also know there'll be some of you here and you're not sure about that yet. And so you just want to let this thing kind of go right on by you. Don't go forward over in the venue and pick up the bread and the cup if, if you don't believe in it. This is one of the, the great moments for us Christians to remember just what it took for us to be redeemed. Father, as we listen to this beautiful song and we hold these elements, God, may, may it just be a sweet time for us as we hold the cup of redemption in our hands, as we hold this bread that reminds us of your life, Lord. Father, speak to us now, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the venue, you come forward. You pick up the cup and the bread.
You know what's really interesting is the simplicity of these two things, bread and wine. Simple, just just simple. Sort of like the gospel. It's a simple message. We were sinful people. And Adam and Eve had just messed everything up. And yet God so loved us, he sent the Savior who was perfect, who shed his blood for us. That if you would believe in the Messiah, the Savior, if you would believe that he was royalty, sins would be forgiven and the relationship between you and the Father would be restored. It's just simple. Simple. My brothers and sisters over in the venue also, let's remember the life 
of Jesus Christ together. My brothers and sisters over in the venue, let's drink the cup of redemption together. Lord Jesus, wow. The Bible is alive, it is alive, it is alive. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it's alive. And we see you in it all, Lord. So thankful, Father, for Jews for Jesus, that they would come and be with us here on this Palm Weekend. Just really thankful for Stan. Blessings on him, blessings on that ministry. I know, Lord, that uh, this was just really educational. This is just really good, Lord, thank you. But thank you, Lord, how you are in the midst of all of this and how much you love us and care for us. And I pray this in your name, amen. Now hold on, before you go anywhere. Um, in October, as most of you know, we have a trip uh, where we're going to Israel, okay? And just because of some conflicts and people's schedule, we had a few people who, who weren't able to go. So we have, we have some room for a few people. And um, we would love to have you go. Pastor Gordon Rumble and I kind of lead the trip, and, and, and uh, Lee, Lee and his wife have been there more than most of us. They're going, and he's a leader. Just hearing him, when we go to the site where, where Gideon kind of had his men and whittled down the number, just to hear his message, that's worth whatever the price is. And I, don't even, I forgot what the price is, but just to hear that message. I'm looking forward to that moment, Lee. Um, Pastor Scott Butler and his wife is, is going. Um, Pastor Bobby Fisher and his wife. Uh, Bobby Kirchner's going. Uh, Gretchen uh, Miller, our women's ministry director, will be going. And we, we have a few spots left. And if you'd be interested in, in going to the Holy Land in October, then you just need to call Pastor Gordon Rumble. And when there were a bunch of people last night who, man, I didn't realize that I'd like to go, I'd like to, you know, see if I can pull this off, just get a hold of him and say, I'm interested, and he'll give you more of the data, more of the information. And I'll guarantee you, um, you'll, you'll have a, a great time. You, you really will. Your, your Bible will come alive. It's often called the fifth gospel, if you will. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you got just going to the Holy Land, and it's like the fifth gospel. And you will learn, and we'll have a great time being together and hanging out with each other and, and all of that. So if you're interested, please get a hold of, of, of Gordon, and I would do it ASAP first thing probably tomorrow, because I think we're going to fill those, those spots up. So love to have you, you go. And remember, family member, right outside these doors over in the venue, you make your way across the, the courtyard over there and come on in and let's all find the place where we can say, hey, you know, I, I'll help with kids. I'm no good with them, but count me in next weekend. You know, uh, I'm not the friendliest guy in the world, but I guess I could 
smile and greet some people at the doors. You can do it one time, right? We, we can all help out one weekend. So make sure you get out there and, and sign up. Father, once again, I just enjoyed this, Lord. Blessings on Stan, blessings on us this week as we go to our family members, friends, people we work with and invite them here next weekend to the greatest weekend probably that there is, Lord, for us as believers. And I'm so thankful you came and were born in Bethlehem and what a great weekend Christmas is. I know Good Friday is an amazing day, but I, Lord, just the day you walked out of the tomb, wow, Lord. Help us to find some people that we could bring down here next weekend. And I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, see you here next week.